Good morning, Cedar Creek. I mean, I hope you can tell I am fired up today. And it's not just because I've had five cups of coffee. It's because today is day one of foundations. This six-week journey we are taking together as a church to develop a deeper faith. A faith that not only brings meaning and purpose into our lives, but a faith deep enough to survive even the most devastating storms of life. Now, to do this, we're going to be focusing on Jesus. Over the next month and a half, we're going to focus on Jesus' life, his example, and his teachings. Do you know why we're doing that? Because Jesus said, he who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on a rock. And that's what this journey is all about. Now, I just have to tell you, over the last 20 plus years, we have done dozens of these types of spiritual growth campaigns here at Cedar Creek Church. In fact, we typically do two of these campaigns a year. And over all of those years and all of those campaigns, there's two things that we've learned about doing this. One is that we always see growth when we do this. Not only growth corporately as a church, but spiritual growth individually in our lives. We've seen God use these campaigns as a, a true turning point. We've seen people turn the corner in their faith journey, take steps of faith, and move in their relationship with God. So we've learned God uses these. But the second thing we've learned, and this is what I want you to hear this morning, what we've seen year after year, time after time, when it comes to these campaigns, you will get out of it what you are willing to put into it. The more you're willing to engage in not just the Sunday morning messages, but in the small group studies, in your home group, and in the daily devotions, the more time, energy, and effort you will put into being a part of all of the parts of this campaign, the more spiritual growth, the deeper your foundation is going to go. So I want to encourage you. I know, I know you're busy. I get that. We are all busy. And I know there are a lot of important things in your life. There are a lot of things vying for your attention, your time, your schedule. And I get that. I know what life is like for us. But I also know this. I know the heartbreaking, heart-shattering storm that can come into your life. I know the shock of a phone call, something happening that you never saw coming in your life. And how you weather that storm will be directly proportional to the depth and the foundation that you are building your faith on today. So I want to encourage you, make the most of this God-appointed opportunity in your life. 
Now, as we begin this journey, since we're focusing on the teachings of Jesus, I want to start this morning with the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached. Many of you know the name of that sermon. It's called what? Shout it out. The Sermon on the Mount, right? You know why it's called that? Because Jesus was surrounded by such a huge crowd that in order to teach them, he literally had to walk up onto the side of a hill so that he could sit down and teach and so that not only his disciples, but the huge crowds of people could see and hear what he had to say. You're familiar maybe with where Jesus preached it, but are you familiar with what Jesus preached on? Did you know that many of the most familiar words of Jesus came out of this one sermon? It's in this sermon that Jesus gives us the Beatitudes. You know those eight statements of a blessed life, blessed are the poor, blessed are those that mourn. Those were the opening words to this Sermon on the Mount. It's also in this sermon that Jesus told us that we are to be salt and light in this world we live in. It's in this sermon that Jesus first spoke the words, love your enemy. It's in this sermon that Jesus gave us the model prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Lord's prayer was taught in this sermon. It's in this same sermon that Jesus taught us to not store up treasures on earth where they can be stolen and rust and destroyed, but to store up our treasures in heaven. It's in this same sermon that Jesus told us if we ask, he would answer. If we seek, we would find. If we would knock, the door would be open to us. No wonder it's called the greatest sermon ever. In fact, I was thinking about being there, hearing that sermon. I thought, man, that had to be like drinking from a fire hydrant. You think my sermons are long and I teach a lot of stuff. Just imagine all of that in one sermon. But you know what is most interesting to me as a communicator about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? It's the way that he ends it. Because, see, good communicators know a good sermon needs a good ending. Because that's the last thing that people will hear. The ending is the takeaway, the action item, the thing you want them to walk away with. Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount with an illustration. He painted a word picture of two men who built houses, similar houses. They just built them on different types of soil. Jesus said one man built his house on the sand. The other man built his house on a rock. And everything was hunky-dory until the storm hit, until the floodwaters rose and the wind and the rain beat against both houses. But the house built on sand crumbled with a mighty fall. And the house built on the rock withstood the storm. You know, every time I've heard that story or read it, in the Gospels, in my mind, I've always pictured two guys who just look around and figure a spot to build on, like over here's some sandy soil, and over here's some rocky soil, and that one decision as to where to build determined whether or not they could withstand the storm. But that's not the story Jesus told. It's not the way that he told it. And the people who were listening to him didn't understand it that way because see in that part of the world all the ground is sandy it's a desert there's sand everywhere 
And any rocks that are sticking up are just that, rocks that are sticking up. They're not suitable, they're not level to build a house on. And so both of these guys picked sandy areas. The difference was one dug down to the rock and one didn't. In the summertime in that part of the world, when there have been no rains and it's hot and dry, the sandy soil begins to clump together and form a crust. A thick crust that can be two, three feet deep in the summer. And it looks like rock. It feels like rock when you stand on it. But when the rains came and the floods waters came, that apparent rocky soil turned back into sand. And anything built on it would crumble. you got to dig down to get to the rock. Not my words. Jesus' words. Look there on the top of your outline, Luke 6. Jesus says, when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it, it is like a person building a house who does what? What does that say? Who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. Then when the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands. Why? Because it is well built. We're all building our lives on something. The question is, are we being intentional about building our lives on something that's going to last? Are we taking the time, are we making the effort to dig down to a strong foundation of faith? And so this morning, I want to answer the how-to question. How do you break out the shovel and start to dig down to build your life on a foundation that will last? And to help us do that, as I said, we're going to look at Jesus. Three examples from Jesus' life where he was intentional about what his life was built on. They're the same three things we need to be intentional of in our lives. So let's jump in. Number one, to start digging, I have to be willing to prioritize my personal connection to God. To be intentional about my personal connection to God. Now hear this. If you don't hear anything else I hear today, don't miss this. The strength of your faith is not built on how much you know about Jesus or about the Bible. It's not built on how many church services you attend or how many service projects you do to help others. The strength of your faith is built on the amount of time you are willing to spend alone in God's presence. The amount of time that you are willing to focus on Him, to pour out your heart to Him in prayer, to listen for that still, small voice, to engage in His Word, and to listen to him speak. In fact, look at what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 6. Jesus says, but when you pray, go away. Where? What does that say? By yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in what? Private. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked a lot about the importance of corporate worship. Right, of gathering on our campuses to worship, to focus on Jesus together as a family. And that's a critical part of your faith journey. But it means nothing if you're not connecting, worshiping, and focusing with Him on your own. 
What we do here on Sunday mornings is an expression of the connection we've made with God in those private moments alone. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer and thinker of the 20th century, calls this going to the secret place. The secret place is not about where or what time of day or when. It's about being alone before God and pouring out your heart to Him in prayer. Not repeating some religious, ritualized, monotone prayer that you've memorized, but pouring out your broken heart to Him. Listening for His voice. That's what it takes. Some of you old-time Cedar Creekers might remember years ago, we used to sing a song in worship called In the Secret. Anybody remember that song besides me? Yeah, you're telling on yourself. You are old. But anyway, that, that song is what we're talking about here, right? In the secret, in the quiet place, in the stillness, you are there. I want to know you. I want to see your face, God. I want to know you more. That happens when you're willing to invest the time to just be alone in his presence. Terry and I have been married 34 years. We'll celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary this summer. One of the things that we have learned about the quality of our relationship with each other is it is dependent on the amount of time we are willing to spend alone with each other, away from the kids, away from work, away from you people and your needs, just to be alone and to talk and to listen to one another. And let me just tell you, that's why those Friday date days are so important to us. That's why we try to schedule a couple of times a year to go away for a weekend together to build the strength of that relationship. But understand this, those days spent together, those weekends getaways, they're not all rainbows and lollipops. Sometimes they are difficult conversations. Sometimes they are painful, pouring out our hearts because of the pain we've caused one another by the way we've often behaved selfishly. And it's in those moments, the wonderful, joyous moments and the difficult, painful moments that our relationship goes to a whole nother level that can withstand, that is built on a foundation that can withstand the storms of a married life. It's the same way with your relationship with God. And Jesus not only taught this in the Sermon on the Mount, but he applied it to his daily life. From the moment Jesus went public with his ministry, almost immediately after he performed that first miracle of turning water into wine, word got out, and crowds immediately started to follow him. Everywhere he went, every day, hundreds if not thousands of people were pushing in, wanting to see him, to hear him, to touch him, to be healed by him. And it was constant pressure all the time. How did Jesus deal with that pressure? Look at what the Bible says, Luke 5, 16. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He prioritized his personal connection to Jesus. You notice that? Often 
He did this. This was a habit built into his life. That's why when the biggest storm of his life hit, the night before he was betrayed and beaten and crucified, on that night, what did he do? He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and there poured out his heart in prayer to God. We read that and we think, wow, that must have really been bad for Jesus to do that. This is, it's so bad he's crying out to God. What we fail to realize is Jesus regularly spent time in the garden alone with God. It's where the strength of his faith came from. Look, if you're serious about developing a deeper, storm-surviving faith, you have to develop the habit of spending time daily alone with God. And over the next six weeks, you have a great opportunity to make this a habit in your life. If, maybe if you've never done this or you tried it before and never been able to continue to keep it up, over the next six weeks, we're going to have daily devotions, daily readings that can set aside time for you to focus on God. It's so important. Uh, behavior experts tell us if you'll do something every day for six weeks, it will start to become a habit in your life. And so we're going to get these daily devotions through the YouVersion Bible app. We're going to get these to you through the app. So if you have the Cedar Creek Church app, the brand new app. All you have to do is go to that app, and right at the top it's going to say Foundations. If you don't have the app yet, I want to encourage you to download it. Text CCC app with a space between the C's and app to 77977. Get the app, download it. But you'll, that you click on that Foundations page on your app. If you don't have the app, you don't have a, a smartphone, just go to our website, cedarcreekchurch.net. Click on the foundations. It's going to take you to the foundations resource page. All the resources for all the parts of foundation in this one location. Then just click on daily devotion. And when you click on that, if you've got a Bible app, it's going to open it in that. If not, it's going to take you to the Bible app web page. It's going to take you right to the plan. And you'll see there are six plans laid out. The first one is called Next Steps Attend. You click on that plan. And it's going to take it there. You go ahead and start the plan today. Today is day one. Now, I know for those of you like me who are technologically challenged, you're like, whoa, 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 what's he talking about? All you have to do, all you have to do, stop by the welcome center, the welcome desk at your campus. There are people there that will help you walk you through this so that each week you can start a new plan and start spending time, daily time, with God, because if you want a storm-surviving, deeper faith, it starts with prioritizing your personal connection to God. Number two, here's the second thing you got to do to dig. you got to do life with others and for others. With others and for others. Yes, you need a daily time alone with God to develop your faith, but you live out your faith in the relationships with the people around you. Understand this about our faith as Christ followers. It is a relational faith. Our relationship with God and our relationship with the people around us. Now this connection 
between our faith and our relationships, it is a two-sided coin. There are two aspects to living out our faith in the context of our relationships. The first side of the coin is living our life for others, to be others-focused, to love others, to serve others, to care about them. In other words, don't be so heavenly-minded that you are no earthly good, that you spend all your time in the secret place, hiding from the struggles of the world and the difficult people around you, like some sort of monk hiding out in the monastery. That is not how you grow a deeper faith. I mean, just look at Jesus' life. Yes, it was the crowds and the pressure of the needs of the people around him that sent him to the secret place to be alone with God, but it was his time alone with God that re-energized and renewed him and sent him back out to fight the good fight. One of the best examples of this from Jesus' life happens on one of the worst days in Jesus' life. Jesus has been caring for crowds of people all day, and late in the day, he got a devastating bit of news. His cousin, his close friend, his ministry partner, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by King Herod. And Jesus, in his grief and his pain and his loss, he got into a boat and he began to cross the Sea of Galilee to get away from the crowds that have just a few minutes, just a little bit of time, just a day in his grief and his hurt and his brokenness. But unfortunately, word got out and people understood Jesus was crossing the lake. And so they ran around on the shore. And guess what? When Jesus' boat arrives on the opposite shore, the same crowd is standing there begging for help. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'd be like, are you freaking kidding me? Really? I can't have one moment to grieve. I can't have a little time to myself. I've lost a family member. And yet here you are wanting more and more of me. I'd turn around and gone back to the other side. If they'd have followed me there, I'd have gone back and forth till they were exhausted and passed out. And I'd have had me some time on my own. That's me. That's not Jesus. Notice what Jesus did. Matthew 14, 14. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. He healed their even in his own pain, he never lost sight of the needs of people. You want a deeper storm-surviving faith? You have to be willing to see and respond to the needs of the people around you. But there's another side to this faith relationship coin, and that is that we are to leverage the relationships of the people closest to us to give us strength, to keep us going. We are not only to reach out to the hurting people around us, but we are to lean in to God's family, the people he gives us. See, most of us look at Jesus' relationship with his disciples as a one-way street. That Jesus is always pouring out to them. Jesus is always ministering to them. He's always encouraging them. But if you actually read the gospel, you will see that Jesus gained strength from being with them. Again, one of the places you can see that. 
the last night of Jesus' life. He knows he's going into the storm. Who does he want around him? Not the crowds, just his closest friends, his disciples. He gathers them in this borrowed upper room. And look at what he says, Luke twenty-two fifteen. And he, Jesus, said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Listen, Jesus chose not to face this storm alone. He leaned in to the people in his life. In fact, a few hours later, when Jesus would go to the garden, to that secret place to pour out his heart to God, guess who he takes with him? His disciples. And look at what he says, Matthew 26, 38. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You catch that? He was honest about his pain and his struggle. And he desired their presence with him in his pain. Do you? When you're hurting, when you're struggling with a storm, do you hide? Do you isolate? Do you put on the mask and pretend that everything's okay? Listen, if Jesus needed others to walk through the storms in his life, do you really think you can walk through your storms alone? Over the past five months, Terry and I have personally experienced both of these aspects of relationships when it comes to our faith. We experience the comfort of the presence of our closest friends, our home group, within an hour of getting the call that our son Philip was dead. Our home group began to show up. I don't even know how they knew, but they were there. They came in our home, and they didn't have answers to our questions. They didn't try to minimize our pain. They didn't quote cute little prayers or give us sweet little verses. They just sat silently with us. And I'm telling you, we would not have survived those first days. We would not be standing here today were it not for the people that God placed in our lives. I don't know what storm's coming your way, but for God's sake, don't try to face it alone. More recently, we are beginning to discover, even in our pain, small bits of hope as God opens the door for us to serve and help others around us. Philip's death has opened the door for us to connect with other survivors of suicide. We've been able to connect with other parents who are struggling with a child who deals with addiction. We've connected with people who are struggling daily with mental illness. And as God is opening those doors, you need to understand, we're not doing anything for them. Our hearts are too shattered to even get through the day most days. But what we can do is point them to Jesus and connect them to you, Jesus' family, to the resources. And as we're doing that, even in the darkness and through the tears, God is bringing hope because there is purpose in our pain. And you have to be willing to serve even in your brokenness. 
if you want a deeper faith. If you're serious about this, if you really want a deeper faith, you have to be intentional about doing life with others and doing life for others. And here at Cedar Creek, there's no better way to do that than within the home group. And listen, there's no better time than this six-week series to go to a home group for the first time. You have an out. You can test drive it. It's just for six weeks. You get to the end of those six weeks, and you're like, those people are weird. I don't want to be around them. You don't have to hurt their feelings. You just say, hey, the series is over. I'm done. You can test drive it. I'm, I'm pleading with you. Check that on your card. Stop by the Welcome Center. If you're not in a group, get connected in a group. Now, some of you, I get this. Showing up at someone's home with a group of strangers and just walking up, knocking on their door, too big a hurdle. I get that for some of us. If you're not extroverted, that's a huge step. That's why at all of our campuses, we are hosting some home groups physically meeting at the church for the next six weeks. And at the end of the service today, your campus pastor's going to tell you when and what night and what time. And so I want to encourage you, try that. You know, you're here today, so you are willing to show up at a campus and deal with that so you can come and be a part of a group without having to jump that hurdle of showing up at somebody's house. Now, there are a few of you, not many, there's a few of you, no matter what I say, no matter what we do, you have dug your heels in and you're like, not for me, I'm not going to do it. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to take the smallest, easiest step towards connecting that I can. If you have somebody, a family member or somebody at work, are you willing to get with at least one other person and go through these study materials together? Now, again, it's not a home group. It won't be all the benefits of a home group, but it's a half step. We have the, the small group study materials for this series on that foundation's resource page. And so you can get those. You can go through. This is, I've never done this before. We've had a church have never offered this before. I am way out of my comfort zone in doing this. But I am desperate to do it because what we are talking about is so important. I'm begging you, take a step towards studying God's Word with at least one other person. Digging a deeper foundation means prioritizing my connection with God, doing life with and for others, and then finally, number three, you got to be mission-driven. You have to be mission-driven. You've got to be intentional about knowing what your mission in this life is and then allowing that mission to be the filter that determines what you will do and what you won't do. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living your life on purpose for a purpose. See, far too many of us live our lives by default. We allow our temporary circumstances, our temporary desires, and the temporary culture around us to determine what are the things we are going to do with our life. And it's so easy to let that happen. I'm telling you, if you don't have a plan, if you're not intentional about what your life is going to be about, there are all kinds of people who would love to tell you what your life should be about. There's a lot of people who love to fill up your schedule and your days and your priorities with what they think you ought to be doing. But the question is, what is not what they want you to do with your life. What does God 
calling you to do. You know, one of the most amazing things about Jesus was his uncanny ability to stay on mission. Jesus had a clear understanding of his mission in this world. In fact, he announced it very early in his ministry. Right after Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness, first thing he did is went back to his hometown, Nazareth. And in his hometown church, where he grew up, he picked up a scripture and he read these words from Isaiah and he declared that this was his life mission. Check it out, Luke chapter 4. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. Jesus says, that's my mission. But let me, let me tell you this. For the next three years, Jesus would battle with people and circumstances and Satan himself to stay on mission. Because yes, Jesus could physically heal the sick, People wanted him to be a healer. Do you know Jesus would be in a town, he would heal people, but he would leave that town with sick people still there. Je Jesus would literally sometimes slip away with sick people standing in line, desperate for healing. Why? Because he didn't have compassion, he didn't care? No, because Jesus came to heal them from something way worse than their physical disease. Many of Jesus' closest followers wanted him to be a political revolutionary. They were sick and tired of the oppressive Roman government ruling their life. And they thought Jesus had come to set them free from the Roman Empire. And they pushed and they prodded and they tried to get Jesus to overthrow the government, to use his movement for a political revolution. And every time they did, Jesus would walk away because he didn't come to fight in the political arena. He came to overthrow a much worse enemy, the darkness of Satan himself. Jesus knew how to stay on mission. And let me tell you, if you're his follower, you have a mission too. And guess what? It's the same mission that Jesus had. In fact, look at what Jesus says. John 17. This is Jesus' final prayer for us, his followers. And look at what he says to God. He says, just as you sent me, God, into this world, I am sending them into the world. You have a mission. It's the same mission that Jesus had. Do you know what it is? Helping people find their way back to God. That is the mission of our church. You know why? Because it's the mission of all of us who are followers of Jesus. And we accomplish that mission by reaching out to people who are far from God, connecting in authentic relationships with them, helping all of us grow in our faith as we serve each other and honor God with our lives. Reach, connect, grow, serve, honor. Reach, connect, grow, serve, honor. You've heard it time and time again. You've seen it written time and time again. Not because it's a cool slogan for our church, because it is why we are here. Knowing your purpose is a great first step. But if you really want to develop a deeper faith, then making that mission the driving force 
of your life. Because you know what our enemy does? Your enemy probably, if you've been a Christ follower for a long time, he's not going to try to distract you with mean, bad, evil things. He's going to try to fill up your life with good things to get your eye off the greatest thing. And that is living your mission. Living out these purposes. And over the next five weeks, we are going to drill down one week at a time on each of these purposes of our mission and talk about how to live out that mission by putting the words of Jesus into practice so that our lives will be built on the rock. Two men built houses. They built them similar at the same time. One took the easy way. One took the time to dig down. Only one house survived that storm. What are you building your house on today? Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I thank you just for the simplicity of our faith. That it is just as simple as hearing your words and then having the courage to put them into practice. So, Father, I know for many of us here today, that is our heart's desire. We want to do that, but there's so many distractions, so many things that get in the way, so many good things that feel right, that seem right, but that lead to destruction. And so, Father, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us discernment? Would you give us the courage, the strength to dig down and build our lives on the foundation of the rock of ages? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.